Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air global network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Jessica Strauser. Jessica is the author of the book club favorites, Almost Missed You, a Barnes & Noble best new fiction pick, not that I could tell, a book, a book of the month bestseller, Forget You Know Me, awarded a starred review by Publishers Weekly, A Million Reasons Why, called a standout in a starred book list review, and named to most anticipated lists from Goodreads, She Reads, Frolic, E! News, and others. And the next thing you know, a People magazine pick for best new novel, now new in paperback. Jessica is editor-at-large for Writer's Digest magazine, where she served as editorial director for nearly a decade and a contributing editor at Careers, at Career Authors. A Pittsburgh native and outstanding senior graduate of Ohio University's E.W. Scripps School of Journalism, she counts her New York Times Modern Love essay and her Writer's Digest cover interviews with such luminaries as Alice Walker, Ann Tyler, and David Sedaris among her career highlights. She lives with her husband and two children in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so sorry my life is so long. I feel like I should have cut that way down. <laughs> no, there's so much to say. You're, 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 and actually, I did trim out a few things. I was like, wow, we could talk all, we could just do your bio <laughs> and talk all day about all your accomplishments. So that's amazing. And Jessica and I talked a little bit um, at, ahead of the podcast about the fact that um, we both lived in Cincinnati, but I was there before she got there. So it's a beautiful place and the book is set there. So let's talk about The Last Caretaker, which I loved. It's such a beautiful cover. Can you tell us about the book? Thank you so much. Yes. Um, the Last Caretaker is about a woman who's uh, looking to start over after her divorce and a friend hooks her up with this job as a resident caretaker on a nature reserve. So she's signing up to be the lone resident on 900 acres of forest and old farmland. And to be honest, she's not really a nature person. She doesn't know if she's well suited to kind of take this on, but you know, it's a pretty sweet gig. It comes with a fully furnished farmhouse. And so she figures she'll just um, fake it until she makes it. And what she's not expecting is for an injured, frantic woman to show up on her doorstep in the middle of the night, in the middle of the nowhere, on her very first night in the job. And this woman is clearly expecting a safe place to hide. And it comes becomes obvious pretty quickly that um, this house is harboring a safe house for women on the run from abusive husbands and boyfriends. And it's being used by some sort of grassroots network but nobody told her that this was part of the job so um she really has to kind of piece together what's going on and um, make a really big decision about whether she wants to step into this role and um of course she starts wondering why this job was open in the first place because no one seems to be able to tell her exactly what happened to the last caretaker Yes, last caretaker Grace is missing, and that is really scary. There's a lot of, and it is a, 
I mean, it's a beautiful house, but it's kind of a creepy, I mean, it's a creepy older house. And there are some people around that are a little bit, you know, she doesn't know whether to trust them, but it's her best, best friend, best friend from college. Um, Bess, mm -hmm. who is, you know, there on site with her, you know, or on, you know, in the area with her family. And, um, and Katie leaves a, you know, has run, left um, a long marriage with a, um, you know, he's not a, not a evil man, but not a very nice man either. So she really is kind of all, all, all on her own, which is so intimidating. And um, I can understand her, her position. So, you know, do you talk a little bit about the inspiration for the book and your acknowledgements, but can you just share that with our audience? Yeah, um, I think there's kind of a different, a few different levels to how I got the idea, which is kind of how it all, always is for me. I do not have this file of like fully formed novel ideas, but I'll have these like random things that I think I might write about one day. And then if you're lucky, some magic happens and they come together and make right. sense all of a sudden. So very literally, I was on a hike one day. There is a property a lot like this nature reserve that exists here in Cincinnati. And um, I fictionalized it for the book, obviously. There's <laughs> some nef sort of nefarious things going on in the book. So I didn't want to, you know, put in, put the actual, there is an actual caretaker at this property. So I did not want to put her or him. I don't know who this person is. I've never spoken to them right. in the hot seat in any way. But, you know, like the property in the book, um, just if we talk as, not only as writers, but as women. Yeah. Um, I like to do a lot of my brainstorming alone on a hike. <laughs> I think really well. As a woman, I have to be careful about where I go alone on a hike. And there is um, this place in Cincinnati called the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Nature Center where you have to be a member to hike there. And there's like an admission booth to, that you have to scan through to go in. And that sounds very elitist, but it's actually super affordable. I mean, I think it's like $45 for the entire year. Um, so it's not, and you get a lot of programming and they do ecological research and things like that. So I just like going there because I feel safer. Someone's keeping track of who's coming in and out. And I right. figure it, you know, if someone's going to mess with a hiker on a trail or break into cars in a parking lot, they're probably going to do it in a public park. It just seems like a little too much work to have to go yeah. to behind a gate so I feel a little bit safer and they have this annex property that is outside the main nature center that's much farther out in the country and it's sort of a best kept secret not as many people go there and it is not staffed it doesn't have the visitor center and the preschool and the high traffic that the uh, main nature center gets and there is a caretaker who lives there and every time I go there I would see the house through the woods and think how interesting to live out here alone and then I don't know if you remember reading this viral essay a few years ago there was this woman who like bought a remote cabin for a sort of like semi-permanent writing retreat and absolutely hated it <laughs> and wrote this essay about like how this seemed like a good idea and very picturesque and she hated it and it went viral because I think pe people really related so I always kind of have that debate in my own mind when I'm out there like this seems really cool to have all of this to yourself but would it be you know or mm -hmm. is it one of those things that sounds cool but it's actually not just even the practicalities like there's no way you could order a pizza right out there. you know you're behind like a guard shack and a gate and you need a card to get in so 
this one day I, I was looking for a new, I was brainstorming some ideas. I went for a hike. It was like a blustery day in November and I was literally the only person there. I had the entire um, place to myself, unless the caretaker was there. I don't know if they weren't, but I'm thinking about the caretaker and I'm thinking about how it feels to be here all by myself and how I feel safe, but maybe it's a safe sense of security. Maybe it's a false sense of security, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. In my head, I started flipping it around and thinking, what if this was empowering? What if this was your domain and you had the right attitude where um, you could do whatever you want out there. Yeah. No one's paying attention. You know, hardly anybody's if especially in the off season on a blustery day, no one's coming through very often. And the idea of someone having that attitude, but then using it um, for good to help the more vulnerable yeah. people. And so just in a very base, like structuring of the story, by the time I got done with that hike, I had the idea for the story. I had also been thinking about what I'm sure you're referring to from my author's note. I had also been thinking about possibly writing another novel that touched on domestic violence. I It's kind of my soapbox. I had written another uh, a novel called Not That I Could Tell in 2018. Oh, um, beautiful, that, yeah. That used a little bit of um, domestic, that had to do a little bit with a woman disappears after a um backyard fire pit with her neighbors and they were the last person they were the last people to see her and her husband falls under suspicion of course as always happens yep. and the neighbors start to wonder what was going on behind closed doors so it's really right. you know as with the last caretaker there's not a direct like point of view from the victim or their abuser but more of like this bystander point of view and um I had written that novel because I had lost a friend to domestic violence and I ended up doing a lot of volunteer work and um, learning yeah. about it and things like that and I think that novel kind of addressed some of the questions that were still bothering me that I didn't know the answers to like what mm -hmm. should you do if right is in, in trouble and um what happened after I published not that I could tell which was very successful it was a book of the month selection and it's probably still my most popular novel it's probably the novel I still get the most reader mail about what happened was I started meeting readers who had their own um stories that were just I mean I had written it because I knew that this was more common than anybody wants to think right about. right then I found out that it really is more common of course yeah yeah I was literally at a book club meeting like in this very affluent neighborhood um near my home uh, with a group of neighborhood women who were telling me that they had hidden one of them from her own husband a few years before, hidden her in in this house for like a month or or something like that. So, um, I think all of that really kind of inspired me. I think the capacity that women have to, you know, help one another and the things people are willing to do um, for each other can be pretty remarkable. So I had been also thinking about writing some kind of novel that dealt with those aspects of things. And then when I had sort of the literal idea for the setting, it just kind of all came together in my, in my brain. And it's, I mean, it's so interesting. So, you know, Katie, of course, as you said, doesn't know, I mean, she doesn't know what is going on, but at, you know, her instinct when this woman shows up is very much to be, you know, 
to be like, okay, you know, what do we do? Because I think that is none of us. And I think it's true for men probably too, or at least, you know, the men that, that we love that are not the predators, <laughs> shall we say, right, they, right, right. we, we acknowledge the fact that there are so many women. I mean, the statistics are really alarming. How many women have been, you know, they're either victimized physically or emotionally or, you know, and because of the nature of so many marriages where the woman ends up being the caretaker in right. a different way than, <laughs> than this caretaker, they, they become subjugated by their spouses, partners, husbands, um, because they have less power, right? They have less financial um, independence. They have less, they're seen less in the world because we're behind our children at school. We're behind our you know, we're sort of in the background versus being like, you know, the breadwinners and the and the forefront. And so we end up being victims and not having and being, you know, sort of the idea of being trapped. Um, and and what does happen often as, as in these situations is that, the you know, these women are separated from their communities, right? Their, their husband manages to sort of destroy it, the relationships that she might have with her family and her friends until she's exactly. so isolated that there really is nowhere to turn. So I, I love the idea of like, how do we show up for each other? Like, what is our responsibility when we know someone is in danger, right? What, what do we do? Like, what, you know, so if we suspect something, yeah. Exactly. And I think also this is a, there's so many different factors at play here. And I am by no means an expert. On this, on this topic, but I do find it, it is very real and I find it endlessly fascinating. I think it's something where we all, I mean, we've all seen all the headlines on the news. We all know that the system has a lot of shortcomings with how we deal with these situations. Um, how many times does a woman killed by an abusive spouse or an ex who she had restraining orders against, they did nothing. How many Dateline episodes have we seen where they're interviewing right. all family and friends and they're all saying, we were so afraid something like this was going to happen, even when, and, and there aren't always all those red flags, but even when there are, what are, the system is obviously inadequate. So I feel like this is a topic where people sort of intrinsically understand that a little, a little grassroots uh, effort might be necessary. And there, there are whisper networks like this. Mm -hmm. But even if you go through, you know, the appropriate channels, for instance, I've done some volunteer work with our local YWCA here in Cincinnati. If you were to call their hotline and you need a safe shelter, you need to go to even the actual women's shelter that they run. Um, <laughs> there's not a street address that they give out. It's very covert directions. I mean, I've gotten the, you know, it's, Go until you see this thing, turn left, turn right, mm -hmm. go there, and there's panic buttons installed on the property. They've had employees assaulted in the parking lot. They've mm -hmm. had, it's not necessarily somewhere that you feel safe, but even, even through the proper channels, some of this is happening in the kind of a very covert, you know, honor system right. type of way, where if you're volunteering or you're helping, they're really putting trust in you. Yeah, asked the location right. of people in this place, and so it's just kind of ripe for, you know, uh, it's good uh, dramatic potential. In oh God, life. yeah, <laughs> I mean exactly, and I think, but it it is interesting because of course, 
in many ways, you know, the we read of so much about how the, the system fails. And the idea of a restraining order is so interesting, right? It's the idea that a piece of paper would would right. prevent somebody from getting within however, you know, bench distance. And yet, like, yeah, what is that? We really don't even doing? have gun laws in place to stop that person from obtaining like an arsenal of weapons. Right. right. So but certainly a person, a piece of paper is not going to keep them. Yeah. Mm -mm. Exactly. And we have to enter into the, the sort of the rampant mental illness that is, you know, so prevalent okay. in our community, right? So we have, a, you have somebody who's mentally unstable, and they're supposed to abide by a restraining order, of course, you know, it's just, and it is so complicated. Let's talk about shame, because I think that one of the thing, one of the biggest issues, and maybe this is our opportunity to sort of out this, there's shame, there's so much shame involved in acknowledging that you are a victim, right? I get shivers just talking about it, right? Like there's the shame of like, how did I, how, like, how did I get myself into this position? Why can't I get myself out of this position? As though in that, as though if you are that woman, you, you, you really could do something about it, right? I mean, so many times it's our, you know, our children are held, you know, children are held against these women. And I mean, they have no financial resources. They, they may not even have like access to physical transportation out of the situation and yet still they sort of there's this idea and this is the same as me too we shame the victim by being like well Not what were you right what were you doing at that place like what were you doing you know on the street at wearing? night what were you wearing right like right right as though, I, um, yeah totally and that you actually hit on the exact reason that I think I ended up writing another book that touches on this because when I when I wrote not that I could tell I know if you've been like do you think you'll ever write another like domestic suspense that deals with domestic violence I would have said no like that was I said what I had to say and also these are not I want to be really clear it, this is a serious issue and I obviously have personal yeah. writing about it but I also want to be clear these are not like issue books like you want to write a, read a deep oh, no, no. about domestic violence? No. Like this is, I, I think I've always thought, you know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And it's just, it happens to be, I hope, an entertaining story that has that in it and gave you something Absolutely. to think about. But it's not, yeah. it's it's very much not like, read this depressing slog through. No, no, it's but, so captivating. And yet it does leave you thinking. And that's the kind of book I love because, there's so exactly. many people you're rooting for. You understand Katie's dilemma. Like she's just getting out of this sort of messy situation. She's got her sister's kids coming to spend the summer. Um, and, you know, she's in, and it's a date. You know that if you're involved in this, this whisper network, there's danger to you. Right. But I think getting back before we move on to that, getting back to what you were saying about the shame. I was just, that was my like long just. Yeah. But what yeah. you were saying about the shame that is the whole reason to me to write about this and to write a contemporary fiction suspenseful story that has to do with it. Because yeah. what happens is, and what I saw after not that I could tell, I'm in living rooms, I'm in libraries, I'm in women's groups, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about it. Right. And that is how you break down the stigma, right? Because right. the whole, the more that any, anybody finding themselves in any kind of abusive situation, the more, their instinct is to feel ashamed and to sweep it under the rug. The shame mm -hmm. ends up falling on the wrong person. A lot of times people don't even know 
right this guy is you know not a good guy and um all of a sudden people are talking about it and yes we start out talking the novel about the novel everybody ends up sharing their own stories and those are the conversations that when everybody goes home that night and thinks gosh we had a real conversation about a real issue so-and-so knows someone who went through something i know someone who went through something yeah else what knows and then you realize holy you know how just how common it is and the more you can get those conversations out in the open in yeah. my mind that is literally the only way that i can think of to break down the stigma and I a lot of times it's the I only think, way uh, yeah and i and i think it's important and also it is frustrating to have done so much like reading up on something and work and learning about something and to really sort of the the takeaway is still, oh my gosh, the best way out of this is to never have met this guy in the first place. There mm-hmm. is not a good, you know, once you, yeah, it's just, to me, it feels like such a hopeless situation. And I, you know, if I can do, if I can write a story that makes it feel a little less hopeless for even one person, then. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree. I, I mean, to your point, and I did, I dug right into the issue of like the women's part of it. Cause of course, this is what I, I love to do the most, but I no, think, <laughs> but I think the, the, and this is true of books, lots of books I've read, you know, like, you know, Ashley Winstead's um, the last housewife. I mean, these are books that you read for the book. I mean, it is like, a, it's a compelling story. Katie, this, the main character is amazing. Her best friend, Bess is amazing. Um, her sister and the relate, you know, the, the difficulties of her relationships, her ex-husband and the difficulties with him and all the layers of the story are what you read for. Um, and it's afterwards that I think to myself, like, wow, like it's, it's so universal. Like you said, everybody knows somebody, everybody's heard a story, whether you've been impacted yourself or have a friend of a friend or whatever, it's, it's universal. It's a women. It really is a women. I mean, of course there are men who are, um, you know, victims of domestic abuse so I'm not but it's largely a woman's issue and it's largely an issue that isn't spoken about publicly and I think you're right the unpeeling those layers and being like who's really who really should be ashamed here and and do people can people find a safe place to say this is what's happening to me and I need help and I think I'm hoping right now what we're doing is encouraging people to first read an incredible story about a network of people, not just women, but men too. And I want to talk about the doctor because I adore him. Um, <laughs> but it's um, but also men who um, who come together to help a person who can't find a way out. Not that they're right. weak. They're not weak. They're just stuck. They're very, very stuck. And they're in danger and they need help. And we, and we all, you know, if we were, if we had blew a tire on the side of the road, we wouldn't somehow expect necessarily that we could fix that by ourselves there's no shame in calling you know for help or in an accident or whatever so it's sort of it's and it's not at all parallel but what I, the point i'm trying to make in my own very inarticulate way is that this is a thing that people should be able to ask for help from and they should know that there are safe places and i would like to say that you know i'm i would be a safe place and if somebody felt that they needed you know resources i would I would try to help in any way I could. I know I know very little, but I'm resourceful and smart and doggedly determined. And I imagine you are, feel the same. So I imagine there's lots of safe havens for people 
And I probably made that so simplified. So I know, I know that it's not at all that way, but. One um, of the best, I think one of the other best novels I've read that, um, again, deals with this issue and in not in a, yeah. it is part of the plot, but a very respectful and smart and thoughtful part of the plot is Dear Wife by uh, Kimberly. Yes, Powell. yes, and exactly. That really is the internal. So you're in the victim's head. She is on the run. She has she has this plan for how she's going to get away and it's so intense you're on the edge of your seat and she is very alone um however she does meet these people along the way who are set up to I mean she even finds herself at a safe house where she has to say a certain thing at the front door and um I reached out to um actually Kim Bell um read this book early and endorsed it which was amazing of her but I had reached out to her and said how much I love dear wife and it turned out that she also had a very personal reason for thinking about this issue and one of the first things she said to me was if you ever do any events that actually focus on you know fiction about domestic violence or anything like that please count me in and so I think often when you find a book that deals with the topic in a way that clearly is um uh, clearly has done a, some work and so what the actual psychology behind it is often you know the author does have a reason yeah yeah so I think and yeah and Kim's amazing I adore her too so um and that was you're right that's a very another really gripping story like the last caretaker it really you know you really aren't you're not turning the pages because you're learning something about domestic violence you're just you're turning the pages because the story is really compulsive and um and fun and then you're also thinking but it's about ringing that, through. Yeah, yeah it rings yeah exactly it rings yeah. through. and now let's talk about the doctor because um <laughs> he um there is a doctor of course who is available um in the network to come and help with their if you know women are um hurt injured really hurt. Yeah. yeah and so and i i'm my dad was an OBGYN and he's he's passed away now but he also was this kind of person um, where I, women turn to him in times, you know, not necessarily of, of, you know, scary domestic violence, although I'm sure, of course, that too, but just the fact that they had somebody to talk to who has this, you know, who felt like somebody who would hold their, um, you know, their secrets and, and yet be a voice of reason. And I think that's a, you know, there are, in in the world of medicine changing so much, there aren't that many of those people available because they have to get the patients in and out and it's so much more complicated than it used to be but I love that character Dr. Clooney he calls himself which I <laughs> thought was his alias <laughs> yes, his alias um and I thought he was he was wonderful and he said something about um feeling like sometimes you know in these situations women what they really crave is just some privacy and dignity and that in a, in a hospital, of course, you don't get privacy because somebody's in and out. And and in much of this process, you don't necessarily get dignity, right? Because the system is set up to sort of shuffle people through and and not in a bad way, but they have, you know, we have a lot of people that need help and, and the process can feel very, you know, um, impersonal. And so I loved that comment from him. I, I thought that was... Um, anyway, I thought that he was wonderful. And that's something you do incredibly well is the, the, these little characters, Dottie's one, I'm not going to, there's no spoilers, but there's a lot of little characters, the Baker, where you get just a little bit of them, but you feel like they are so layered and real and 
Um, I love meeting characters like that on the page. I really do. So it was drama. really fun kind of trying to fun seems like a maybe it seems like the wrong word, but it's not. It was a lot of fun to try to dream up, you know, who would be in this network and what their roles would be and what kind of, you know, in order to make this work, because, um, you know, who all the steps along the way would be. And it, it did make sense that, of course, they'd have to have it a doctor to call if someone yep. shows very hurt. Um, and I thought an OBGYN is someone mm -hmm. who um, probably his family is used to him getting buzz in the yeah. middle of the night and having to yeah. leave. Yeah, so, very just smart. Just right. religious. But um, it was a lot of fun dreaming up all of the people. And I think, I think the effect that it has on Katie, you know, is they all kind of share a little bit of their story and why they're doing this. And, um, it's like everybody has a reason yeah being involved maybe some things happen maybe you know maybe the OB had someone that he couldn't help in his practice and now he really he is trying to kind of atone for that yeah and yeah have other people on set you know everybody has a really um personal reason for being involved and for putting themselves at some sort of risk to be involved and in helping people this way Katie is the only reason who the only one who doesn't she just moved into this house she's just there you know and right then i think it raises some interesting questions of well do you need a and even the network is kind of like well you know she she quickly this is not a spoiler she quickly gets involved on just kind of like a very temporary yeah. trial basis like here i am gonna i will help i will help i don't want people to suffer because i am not willing to do this but like you guys need to figure something else out <laughs> you know right right I'll just kind of, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I've got enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, but you know, it kind of raises these interesting questions of do you need should you need a personal reason to help or just being like a good person right. walking well? Is that reason enough? Right. Well, and I think Katie sees that woman and her, you know, the woman's terror and all that, and it becomes personal very quickly, right? Because every woman has had that moment, you know, and we, this is the quote that I chose to, you'll have to go back and, and, and watch that everybody on um, Instagram. Cause I do my Monday, my weekly quotes on Mondays, most Mondays. And um, I chose a quote that was so, so poignant for me um, from this book, which is really about like, you know, we've all, there is universality in, in fear in for, you know, for women in particular and marginalized groups and, you know, um, I mean, just, and probably everybody to some extent, but there's that, the idea that we've all been in that place where we're like, we have that sort of sense of like, something's not right. And so that is for her just, you know, it, it triggers immediately the idea that, of course, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to help. Let's talk about Bess and Katie, because these are, they're two so different, but such like longtime best friends. And yet there is a real tension between them because, you know, Katie's now doing something that somewhat puts that, I mean, Bess is in charge of, you know, this the caretaker position. I mean, she's the, she's the boss and all of this network threatens to sort of jeopardize her, you know, career. And so there's this tension of like, how much do we, how much does, can Katie share? How, you know, and how does that tension affect their friendship, which I thought was really powerful. And I'm curious to know sort of how that evolved for you. Yeah. It was like, Bess got her into the job. Bess got her into this. And then, right. you know, obviously Bess is the first person Katie calls and she's like what do you mean you didn't know right this was how could you not know and and Bess is also sort of like how could I not know I thought I you right. know 
I don't know what's happening here. And um, I think, you know, Katie's got, she's got her own internal, you know, conflicts that she's going to need to work through, um, which I think is so interesting. I don't know why there are so many books that start with someone trying to start over. Yeah. Like what it is about that that we're all so fascinated by. Like, are we all secretly fantasizing about just chucking our lives and starting over? I don't think so. I'm not, but I think we all know how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone mm-hmm. has moments where they think, oh, I'm just going to quit this job or quit this marriage right. or whatever right. it is. And right. For Katie, she's sort of, the story opens for her in a place where she really has, she really is. A lot of GMs people say they want a fresh slate, but they're really just talking about one of these things. Mm-hmm. a marriage or a job or moving to a new place she has done all of these things at once right, like right. not only did her marriage not work out but she and her ex-husband owned a business together right and she, she there was no way she could continue in that role so she ended up sort of giving him the business the business was very involved in their community mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh they were like a small business designing websites for all the small businesses around them so she just she you know yeah. she just out of this situation she takes this job somewhere else and Bess is the only person who she knows going in I think Katie's very she doesn't want to be clingy she doesn't want to show up and she's she's like just by getting her this job and a place to live Bess has already done so much for her so Katie really doesn't want to be a problem or a burden or right I don't think Bess ever would have seen her that way. Katie yeah. could have called Bess 10 times a day and Bess would have loved right. it. But Katie feels very, you know, self-conscious about it. So right. it was, I think for someone starting over, but to also have like this one existing relationship that she could lean on, right. but really doesn't want to, which also sort of ties into the theme of, you know, relying on other people for help and yeah. trying to- And, sh- and some shame, and right? Infinite. It comes back to a little bit of shame. Yes, right. She's got her own, and yeah, nothing about her marriage was there was no, you know, she doesn't have her own history. She was, yeah, she wasn't right. She wasn't a victim. There was nothing like that. Right. Um, So I think it was um, an interesting place for her to be in to Mm -hmm. sort of be grappling with this like external thing that's Mm -hmm. going on there as well. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's really, it's powerful. But again, I think it's the idea to the question of like, you know, do people want to start over? Um, I think sometimes, you know, and I'm in this position now, like, I was married for 31 years, and now I'm going through a divorce. And it isn't a choice of, you know, do you want to start over? It's a, it's a situation where you're like, well, you're you starting no over. Yeah, you have no choice yeah. but to start over. And that's where Katie is, too. And I think there is such terror. And you know, glimmers of excitement, but really, I think we all imagine like what we would do if every, if the whole, if our whole world was pulled out from under us. And that is what happens to Katie. And like you said, it's, and and they talk about like, what are the biggest stressors of life, right? It's like, you know, moving job change or, you know, losing your job, divorce, um, you know, death. I mean, it's just like, she's basically going through like five of the seven or whatever. I mean, it's really, and I think there's, 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 it's interesting to watch somebody whose world has been turned upside down. I think we're all interested in, you know, what would I do if that happened to me? And I think that's what makes the story powerful. And I think it also puts her in a, you know, a unique position to relate to the people who are coming through. She has to have, you know, some sense of 
maybe awe is not the right word, but these are women who, once they go into this networking, yeah. hiding, they have decided to give everything up. They are running. They are yeah. to assume new identities and become right. someone else. And in order right. to do that, you have to leave everything mm -hmm. behind. And so obviously their reasons and all of their surrounding factors are very different from hers, but they do have yeah. that in common where they're really yeah willing that willingness to yeah um, whether they want to or not with them also not really a choice a choice mm -hmm. that they're making to save their own lives but not a choice that they wanted to mm -hmm. have to yeah they did right nobody chose nobody chooses that right and it puts also into perspective her own existence right the safety of what what she does have like with Bess and her job and you know she's any and her sister and so she's you know I think sometimes you know, feeling like you're in a really, really hard position, it's helpful to see somebody and be like, okay, whoa, I've got a lot, I have a lot of blessings that I am, you know, that I can count on um, yes. without, you know, and also, yeah, and also it's, a, you know, it's a really hard thing that, that, you know, we're each going through in our own existences. Nothing, it's never easy. So, um, and I wanted to say congratulations that this was um, an Amazon first read. So available Thank to the you. world a whole month early. I know it's already got a million um, fantastic reviews, which you're not supposed to be reading. We talked about this oh. beforehand too, because um, <laughs> about the idea that you have a book that's due like in three weeks and then a book that's out right now. And of course, you know, any comment they make about the book that's out right now, you think, oh my God, am I doing that in this book? Which is yeah. so how we work, right? I mean, you were talking about a comment about something being wordy. And so- what happened? Yeah, I I think I mean I think a lot of readers think everything happens in a very segmented way. Like you release a book and then you promote that book, and then you write another book, and then you release it, and then you promote that. But I mean, we know usually the overlap is you know you have a we all, there's always a moment where you think why did I do this to myself <laughs> where I'm putting the finishing touches on one manuscript. But it's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, it's never a given that there's going to be another book. So right. um, it's just, you know, grateful for the opportunity to be writing another one while also having the, the stress of the overlap at the same time. I do think, I don't know, it's interesting. You, you start to think about things that your books have in common. And The Last Caretaker is my sixth novel. The one I'm finishing now will be my seventh, I think, out next year. It doesn't have a release date yet. Um, but I do I think I do like writing about people who are put to the test in a way where um and I think with that you can draw on the good feedback and say, like, yes, this is this is like this is kind of like I don't know, this is just a theme that I can't get enough of, I guess. But I love yeah. people who are um gonna find out that they're stronger than they realized. And that's yeah. something I'll do. That's something you're going through. That's something, now. yeah. That's something we all have to we all have to face at one point or another. And I think we are stronger um, than we want to be. For one, you know, yeah. people say, "Oh, you're so strong," and you're like, "Well, I didn't really choose to be strong, right?" It, it's a it's something <laughs> that you just have to do. But I do appreciate that, and I think that's a that's a empowering thing to write about because I think at some point or other we're all tested and have to sort of have to st stand in a way that we didn't expect to have to stand what whatever that test will be you know a new job a you know a diagnosis of there's just a million ways right so um but anyway and congratulations just in general, like in the big picture of things this is such a 
this is, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world right now. Every time you open your mm. phone, it's just, I mean, the, the the news is just really terrible and concerning. And there's a lot of right. people out there who are, you know, hurting and worried and, yeah. you know, very distraught by what's going on right now. And it, it feels like a strange time to be trying to promote a book. And it, it seems like there's always something in the news that makes yeah. you feel like, you know, it's not the time I want to be promoting a book. But if you are going to be promoting a book, at least it's a book about people trying to do the right thing. Yeah, right. And I think we write, I mean, we write these books also for one, I think because we're working through something of our own always, I feel that way. But also yeah. because these these are an opportunity to leave the world just for a little time and be involved in a story that we know is going to have an ending that is, you know, I mean, this is a deeply satisfying ending um, to the last um, caretaker. So you know, that's what we hope when we read a book is that we get something that takes away. We're not making the world right necessarily by reading this book, but we are giving ourselves a break from all from our own troubles and the troubles of the world just for a little time. And I think that's a gift we give ourselves and a necessary gift because we can't spend 24 hours a day inundated in all the hardship. It's just, we just, it's, we would, we would all just crash. So I think that the power of the story is that ability to be, you know, for a few hours somewhere else. And I love that. That is why I'm a writer. It's why I read as much as I read. I just, it's a, it's the best gift. And I don't get that from television. Um, I get it from being, you know, in the pages of a book. And I, so thank you for the break from the really, you. yeah, from the really hard stuff that's in the world. And, and from, you know, being, it's a thoughtful, wonderful story. And um, I really love Katie and I love um, her relationships with people around her and, and the story. And there's so much goodness. So congratulations on an incredible book. And thank you for joining us today. Tell everybody where they can find you. I know you're on, um, I, I see you all the time on Instagram and I'm sure you're on Facebook. Tell us where to find you. Yes, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Jessica Strauser Author and um, also my website, jessicastrauser.com. And um, December, I have a small tour. It's a, it's the holidays. It's a hard time of year to be going yeah. on a book tour, but I do have some events around the Midwest where I live. I have an event in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. So um, if anyone's in any of those cities, um, feel free to check out my event calendar on my website and also a few um, virtual events where I'll be digging into this book as well too. So, And if you're listening, Strauser is S-T-R-A-W, like a straw you suck through, S-E-R. So it's, <laughs> I had to ask, of course, how to pronounce it, which I, I oftentimes butcher them, but this one I happen to have gotten right, which is a huge success. So thank you again, Jessica, for joining us. This has been Killer Women with Jessica, Jessica Strauser. We will see you next time. Bye.